Truth Espresso, episode 175. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, this is Daniel, your host for Truth Espresso, and we're continuing our series of episodes, um, our Monday series, talking about Easter. And I know Easter has passed, but it is not passed on Truth Espresso because we are continuing and we'll close up soon a series on Easter. And we talked about the politics of Jesus' um, Holy Week, triumphal entry, his contentions with the scribes and Pharisees, his trials last week and now. Now, this week, we're going to get into kind of a difficult topic here, but the actual crucifixion, the pinnacle, really, point of all of history. And so, thank you, sweetheart, Chelsea, my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, for doing this with me again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay. So where did we leave off? Well, yeah. <laughs> so we had Jesus's trials. We mentioned that he was led away to be crucified. And we asked the question, who put him on the cross? And we answered that with quite a slate of different answers. And so if you haven't listened to last week's episode and the week before that and the week before that on this series, get the whole picture. It's quite intriguing for the account of Jesus and everything that led up to this point. And so now we're going to start the timeline and some facts about Jesus' crucifixion here. And so this is, um, yeah, there's debates among different theologians, Christians, about when Jesus was crucified. So, sweetheart, what day of the week do you believe Jesus was crucified? <laughs> Oh, yikes. <laughs> you want me to engage in this debate? <laughs> sure, <you know. laughs> yeah, I think it seems like it was uh, Friday. Friday. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's the traditional day. And yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I know when I grew up, I was taught by people who would say it was either Wednesday or Thursday because they take where Jesus says, you know, as Jonah was in the whale three days and three nights. So Jesus will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so they want to take that as literally as possible. Where are the three nights? If he was crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday, well, then later I had to learn that Jewish accounting for time will count if it goes through part of a day, that's considered a day when you're counting. And so Friday, then Saturday, and Sunday is considered three days because you also have scriptures that say he will raise on the third day. And so, yeah, he couldn't have raised on the third day if he had to have been dead three full days and full nights, a full 72 hours. But yeah. yeah. It's okay to consider Good Friday. I'm not, you know, knocking anyone who thinks it was Thursday or so on like that, but I'm perfectly okay with accepting that it was Friday, especially the date fits because I believe it was AD 33. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's lots of reasons, astronomical reasons. Nissan 14th falls on the Friday there on AD 33. Yeah, with the eclipse there, too, (laughs) happening at this time. And so it all just seems to fit that way. So, um, yeah, Jesus was, you know, kind of beat up, had the uh, crown of thorns on his head earlier during the mockery. Basically, um, I think this wasn't this like during when he was sent to Herod there and they kind of mocked him, pounded the crown of thorns in his head, put a purple robe on him and led him back to Pilate. And then Pilate says, behold, your king to the people, you know, shall I crucify your king? And that's when they's like, you know, if you don't do it, you're not Caesar's friend and Pilate out of fear of the people and what they might do to get him in trouble, led him away to be crucified, but washed his hands and said, 
says, I don't find no fault in him, but <laughs> he did what was probably not precedent for his office was to let someone who he knew was innocent away to be given capital punishment. And so, you know, on any given day, whoever was sentenced with capital punishment to be executed, they would be all done at the same time. And so it just so happened, <laughs> it just so happened <laughs> that there were two thieves, you know, who had the same sentence of crucifixion that were led away with Jesus. And so around 8 a.m., now this would be considered the, the second hour of the day, around 8 a.m. is when Jesus starts the trek toward Golgotha carrying the cross. <laughs> So I have a question for okay. you about timing here because mm. I was looking at the flogging oh, yeah. part and does that come before they say that he's going to be crucified mm. or do they say crucify him then he gets flogged and then he goes? Yeah, I mean, I know there was some beating, you know, earlier on before he was sentenced to crucifixion, which I think that was probably something that Pilate was hoping, okay, if I beat him up... And then show the people, like, look at him, he's pitiful, you know, can't I just release him? And then they want to crucify him after that, you know. So I think there was probably flogging. It's possible they could have flogged him somewhat and then started the trek. Perhaps, you know, periodically they might have flogged him on the trek. But we do see when we get to Simon the Cyrene, who gets compelled to help Jesus carry the cross there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to talk about the whipping real okay. quick before oh, yeah. we go. You have some information on that. So yeah. yeah. So I think it's interesting because the whipping mm. is part of the prophecy oh, yeah. too because that is what puts stripes oh, yeah. on Jesus. Mm. And so by his stripes, we are healed. Oh, yeah. There you have substitution right there. Yeah. <laughs> and also I have read that because he was whipped 39 times and if they would have done the 40 times that would have actually killed him mm. and they held off that last whipping oh, yeah. so it wasn't the actual whipping that killed him but he was like so close mm. to yeah. dying mm -hmm. with just that and just reading the descriptions or hearing pastors talk about what they would use to whip people yeah. is just i think brings more information to what jesus had to go through and because a lot of times we think of a whip like a leather <laughs> long whip that we see people use with animals or something and yeah. this was actually a torture whip mm -hmm. where they would have pieces of broken pottery or mm -hmm. rocks like sharp objects on the end of the whip bones, things like that, and they would throw the whip and it would lodge into the person's skin yeah. and they'd wait and then they'd pull it and they'd, as they're pulling what was lodged in, it's ripping skin, mm -hmm. yeah. flesh mm -hmm. off of that person. So doing that 39 times, mm -hmm. there was, yeah. you know, flesh exposed. There were probably even nerves exposed yeah. mm -hmm. just being in that area on the back and close to the spine there and just how deep and how many wounds he mm -hmm. received. Yeah. That had to have been just so painful. <laughs> Yeah, like, just with that part. Yeah, just trying to cope with it is enough to like make you pass out, you know. Yeah, so even just yeah, because part that's part of why they would compel Simon the Cyrene to help bear his cross. You know, the capital punishment here, crucifixion that the Romans designed, was intended to be like just the most agonizing way to die that someone could conceive of and that's and they intended to make it as painful as possible as you mentioned whip them near death but don't let them die and like okay that's enough try to let them recuperate enough so they can bear more pain you know and then imagine trying to carry this heavy piece of wood with it like the splinters rubbing on your exposed back yeah <laughs> And yeah, that had to have been incredibly difficult. And and I heard that the weight of the cross that he was carrying, like the beam was about mm. 110 pounds. Mm. Yeah. So that's 
a good weight <laughs> to have to try and carry after being through all of mm-hmm. that torture. Yeah. Because then at this time, yeah, he has his messed up whipped back and the crown of thorns lodged into his skull. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then about 8 a.m., as I mentioned, they start the trek toward Golgotha. Jesus is carrying the cross or the staros, the Greek word there. And I know there's different understandings of what he was carrying. Was he carrying the beam, the pole, or was he carrying the patibulum? Yeah, I don't know if we know for certain, but either way, it's a big, heavy piece of wood there. And ultimately, you know, when it gets put there, it forms the cross structure. And so as he's carrying it, it, it seems like it's apparent. Why would the Roman soldiers compel Simon the Cyrene to carry to help him was because, you know, just kind of like the whipping there. It's like, okay, you know, the design of this execution is intended to get as much pain out of you while still getting every part of it done <laughs> that, and, and you experience all of it. So as they perceived, I believe it seems, according to commentaries like John Gill that I was reading it, the soldiers perceived, you know, that, you know, it could have been in so much pain that they're afraid he might die on the trip. And mm. you, know, you might think, well, so what you know that's his execution but yeah they don't want you to die before you experience the crucifixion and so they compelled simon on the trip there someone must have mentioned oh you know he must have mentioned or seen like oh it's jesus and like what oh you know him you're one of his followers get over here you know help him carry this on the trip you know (laughs) and so they compel him to help carry the wood the you know the cross there up to it so that jesus would have enough strength and be able to survive so that they can carry out the crucifixion and that he would experience it (laughs) so yeah just thinking about that that's another thing like okay well he's he's carrying that cross and he's like barely you know able to endure it and simon the serene's carrying it just so enough to keep him in pain and conscious enough to get there so they can put on yet more excruciating literally pain (laughs) do you ever think about what that was like for simon to be carrying the cross like okay it had jesus blood on there Mm. like that is now touching him like okay did that make him a believer at that point was he a believer before then Mm. and just almost like the humility Mm. that it was to be like wow this is my king and my savior and like the least i could do is help Mm. carry this cross for him so was, I don't know, yeah. it's just think sometimes it's interesting to think about the different people that are in the scenes here and what they're experiencing too. Yeah, I was reading in the commentaries that, you know, it mentions that he's the son of, now I'm trying to remember the names, Alexandrus and Rufus or something like that. And those names are mentioned later on, like in Acts, I think. And so Simon was some sort of disciple. He had some encounter. He was a follower of Jesus in some sense, you know, so I don't believe, you know, he was someone who thought Jesus deserved to die. And so to, yeah, just to, (laughs) it's hard to picture, you know, how you would be, how I would be, you know, in Simon's shoes there, like, okay, I am carrying, helping my Lord and he's dying innocently, (laughs) you know, I don't know if I fully understand this, but, you know, yeah, they compelled him, but I think he had to have some heart to be willing to do this. So then we get to the third hour of the day, because the hours in Jewish time start at 6 a.m. of the day. What we consider the 24-hour day, we would consider it 6 p.m., the darkness. So the third hour of the day, being the daylight, starts, I mean, the first hour starts at 6 a.m., and so 9 a.m. is the third hour of the day. So before the crucifixion happens, they get to Golgotha, and then the soldiers first offer Jesus, like, a drink. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, this is going to be like your last drink, and it's intentionally something that's going to be, like, disgusting. 
like described as you know vinegar mixed with gall or wine mixed with myrrh or something like that so it's kind of like <laughs> they can't even give him the you know here's something tasty to help you get through and no it's like if you're thirsty because this is your last drink <laughs> quench your thirst as much as you can with something that's disgusting and the soldiers first offer this vinegar wine myrrh stuff uh, to jesus and then he first tried to taste it and then you know he refused it so <laughs> it was like i can't do this <laughs> So then after that, it's like, okay, now that we did that, so then they start to nail his hands or wrists and feet to the cross. And then, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to mention one more thing great quick before we get too much into the crucifixion. Along his trek up Mm. to the Golgotha, it says in Luke 23, 28, there were daughters of Jerusalem that were weeping and Jesus, you know, being in <laughs> yeah. that pain and suffering, turns to these women and tells them not to weep for him, but to weep for themselves and for their children and talks about like his second coming. And I think to me, that's so <laughs> yeah. powerful that even though Jesus is on the brink of death right then, he's not focused on himself. He sees these people and that they are in need and that they are hurting and he still reaches, <laughs> takes that time to reach out to them and comfort them. And I don't know, I just think, yeah, wow, that's amazing <laughs> that to me, it's just like, well, that has to be Jesus that could do that because <laughs> anyone like us <laughs> yeah. humanly speaking with our <laughs> sinful selfishness, <laughs> we would be like, oh, this is so painful and yeah. not even think about anyone else around us. And here Jesus Christ is on his way to be crucified, barely able to walk and still reaches out to comfort and offer hope to these women. Yeah. It's like, yeah, probably if I were there, <laughs> there, um, yeah, I'd be like, okay, I'm thankful that some people have sorrow on me, but man, you have no idea how difficult this is <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah. It's also interesting as I was reading the accounts of the crucifixion event to see how the details interpolate in the Gospels and how they will quote prophecies from the Old Testament. So I tried to get as many of them to show like, wow, like all the details of this, you know, line up with things mentioned in the Old Testament, you know, or messianic and stuff, you know. So when it says they nailed, you know, his hands and his feet to the cross, and John also mentions that, well, actually, never mind, (laughs) because you know what, uh, where it is, Jesus' hands and feet are nailed to the cross. There's actually a, you know, a verse that kind of prophesies that, and it's Psalm twenty two sixteen, where it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. You know, Psalm 22 seems to be picturing the crucifixion. It's written by King David and his sorrows, but the details are just strikingly, you know, about the crucifixion event. And do you know who quotes this in the New Testament? <laughs> no one. There is not a single quote anywhere in the New Testament where anyone quotes Psalm twenty two sixteen, <laughs> But I think that's pretty amazing. Like, you'd think of all the verses that anyone would want to quote of the crucifixion event, it would be Psalm twenty two sixteen. But they quote verses around it, but they never touch this verse. And yet, there it says, in plain <laughs> words, they pierced my hands and my feet. You know, it's pretty amazing. The gospel writers, they quote the verse before, the verse after, but no one quotes this. And in some ways, that's like, I want to say, what were you thinking? You could have just quoted. It would have been so powerful. And then yet, on the other hand, I think, it's powerful, the fact that they didn't quote it, because if, you're, if someone's following along reading Psalm 22, like, and this fulfills this, and they look at Psalm 22, and then they read down, <clears throat> and then they see this verse. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and it... <laughs> And it's, you know, it just 
tells what the event is about and you don't even have to quote it like just think someone reading that verse and it it doesn't even have to be quoted mm -hmm. <laughs> the silence of not quoting that verse yeah. is like one of the most powerful things you can do with that verse <laughs> so i think learning a little bit more about some of the history and the kind of um, artifacts that they're discovering about surrounding the crucifixion is just amazing too because you have so many people that try and discredit or mm. deny the crucifixion and the resurrection yeah. and yet there's so much evidence that just screams out that no this happened and this is true and this is what christianity is founded on and one of the things is learning about the nails and i think oh, wow. it's just interesting because nails were <laughs> they're not the galvanized nails that we used yeah. to <laughs> for construction today and they were not the easiest thing to make either mm. so they were yeah. something that they would reuse for the different mm. criminals as well so mm. i mean just thinking from yeah. medical background how oh you're, yeah. you're <laughs> the <laughs> reusing nails like yeah and the nails were five to seven inches long mm. yeah so they're kind of more like railroad spikes yeah if they had railroads at that time which of course they didn't but yeah and when they would nail their arms across i mean you kind of think okay maybe they're spread out a little bit but they would stretch their arms mm to where it would be six feet in length mm. across. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's like pulling your oh, yeah. shoulders out of sockets yeah. <laughs> type of stretching. Yeah. And then where the nails would go in the wrist, it'd go right between the radial and ulna bone there. So it wouldn't actually break any bone, which is another mm. prophetic thing. Yeah. But, which I, was, I have in my notes, I'll mention later. <laughs> yeah. But one thing it does hit... Mm -hmm is yeah. the meridian nerve oh yeah mm. and that nerve is very painful mm. and so when they hit that nerve it's yeah <laughs> is so excruciating and mm -hmm. that is where the oh, word yeah. excruciating actually came from yeah <laughs> was like, that type of pain that came yeah. out of crucifying someone yeah. excruciating it's kind of like this is like out of the cross type of pain yeah huh so yeah, just like learning about some of that mm. surrounding it and you know, they would, yeah, it was just like, it was not clean. It was <laughs> oh, not yeah. a clean, sterile process. Yeah. You've got used nails going in. They're probably rusty, mm. yeah. blood stain from previous mm. crucifixion and with rotting fleshes on the other mm. side of the hill, yeah. there's bugs and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. animals like i mean this is a disgusting yeah. horrible place a place of death mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times we think oh it's this nice little grassy <laughs> green <Yeah>. hill <laughs> with the sun setting yeah. behind it it's called the place of the skull for a reason it looked like a skull but yeah it's like okay skulls were probably there too yeah yeah so i think just helping to kind of get that picture of the reality of it and yeah. the depth of what christ took on hmm. willingly took on yeah for us yeah for sure yeah luke 23 mentions that the two thieves were with him on the way that's the only gospel that mentions that the thieves were there they he was led with the thieves up to the hill so his cross was hoisted up then between the two thieves and of course just doing that yet fulfills another prophecy you know okay the fact that they put him between the two thieves you know, where gospels mention it's fulfilled that he was numbered with the transgressors which is isaiah 53 verse 12 where it once again it's pointing out the atonement and it says he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So it's like, they quote Isaiah fifty three twelve. you know, it's very clear just how it's prophesying this event. <laughs> so I love that you just brought up the <laughs> prophecy from Isaiah fifty three twelve because mm. 
that is one of the things that Jesus says from the cross. Um, there's seven statements that Christ makes when he's on the cross. And this is the second one that he makes on there. And it's found in Luke 23:34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And this is just fulfilling that prophecy in Isaiah that he's oh, yeah. Yeah. asking for forgiveness for the <laughs> transgressors. Yeah, definitely uh, an amazing statement there. Now, I know that there, with that verse in particular, some Bible scholars will point out that that's a textual variant, <laughs> but that doesn't mean he didn't say it, even if that weren't somehow in the, in the you know, originally the Bible. But, you know, just to point out that I recognize that there's a textual variant with that statement, but I'm pretty sure he said that. <laughs> and it's an amazing statement that yeah that he's saying to forgive them they don't know what they're doing they're they're complicit in this the soldiers are doing their duty and killing someone who was sentenced and and even the Jews there who were you know sent him away to be crucified you know because they despised him I don't think they even fully understood why they despised them, even of all the politics that we mentioned. You know, everyone who is involved, Jesus is asking, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they don't know what role they're playing in this divine scheme of redemption. <laughs> so then we have the, like, right after he's crucified and hoisted up there between the thieves, the soldiers start casting lots on Jesus' clothes. <laughs> and it's amazing, okay, what was written in Psalm 22 again, this was, of course, before there was any Roman Empire, <laughs> and then if this is a common practice of the soldiers or not, they're basically playing a game of gambling to see you know, who wins parts of Jesus' clothes there. And the Gospels mention that Psalm twenty two eighteen is what this is fulfilling, where it says they cast lots upon my vesture. You know, and it's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. You know, the soldiers, you know, they're just willfully doing this and being playful about it. And yet they're fulfilling this in the same passage that talks about other details about the crucifixion. <laughs> And then also there's the sign that was put above the cross. And each of the gospel accounts give almost like a window of the full message. So if you're to put them all together, it would say, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. <laughs> and so right when Jesus is being crucified and Pilate writes the message, the chief priests say, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews, because they, you know, they want to make sure that he's not in any way mocking them or that we have nothing to do with this. You know, we barely consider him even one of us. You know, it's just like mm. Pilate's mocking him, but they want to make sure like he's not an example of our sentiments in any way. Just write that he said, this you know he's an outcast and Pilate says what I have written I have written <laughs> mm -hmm. much to their chagrin there but <laughs> now it's interesting with some like some of the gospels will give some details that other ones don't because only Luke actually mentions the difference between the two thieves you know mm -hmm. like other ones mention that the two thieves mocked him but Luke kind of shows that one of the thieves gets a change of heart and so while one of them mocks him like hey you're the son of god come down and then the other one says we deserve what we're getting but this man is innocent you know and then he asks jesus um you know lord remember me when you come to your kingdom and then jesus says today you will be with me in paradise I know I mentioned that on months ago on an episode about Jehovah's Witnesses, but <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, this is another amazing statement where we're talking about a crucifixion and, you know, it's like all the effort to talk. You want to save your breath because every breath you take, you have to put force on you know, your feet that are already in agony and, you know, basically you're pushing down on the 
the nail, the spike there, feeling it thrash your flesh just to push yourself up a little bit to take a breath. Like every single breath, they have to do that. But Jesus puts in the effort to speak mercy to this thief to show that he is forgiven, that he will be with Jesus in paradise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another amazing statement that Jesus says from the cross there. Yeah, that's my second <laughs> favorite part of the story, again, where Jesus is recognizing someone that is in need and giving offering them hope. And I like when he's talking to the thief, too, he says, I tell you the truth mm, that yeah. today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, yeah. It's truly, truly, I say to you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so he's not saying he's not being hopeful or like. Well, you, you know, you keep maybe, or if you keep it up, he's like saying, you know, this will happen to you. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's something that happens instantly. It's not like, yeah. okay, well, wait until, you know, three days after you're dead and then <laughs> you'll see me. But I don't know. I just think that it's so neat how, mm. yeah, Jesus continually looks out for the needs of the people. <laughs> yeah and also thinking of i liked that you brought up how this was even more effort because of mm -hmm. how hard that was to just even catch your breath mm -hmm. and when they would push up too yeah. like we were talking about the splinters oh yeah rubbing on your back yes. yeah so you're rubbing against the wood uh, yeah again with all that uh, raw open flesh and yeah, woo. yeah it like just burns the, and digs and stuff yeah so yeah. you can't even so you're pushing on your feet there to get the nail to, you know, it's not like you're standing on a platform using, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. using the fact that the nails pushed his feet into wood as a platform to thrust upward to take a breath. Well, as you said, your arms are stretched and extended out so you don't get arm leverage much to do that. Yeah. And your joints are out of socket yeah. too, so you don't have that. Yeah, which helps too. Which pull. yeah, the psalmist says, you know, bones are out of joint, you know, mm -hmm. which is another fulfilled prophecy there. But Jesus tells the thief, "You will be with me in paradise." And mm -hmm. yeah, another amazing statement of mercy from someone who's like enduring things. And yeah, and just to mention the thieves again. It's like, you know, when I read things in the Gospels, just the whole Gospel account and just see any person involved in it. And then I think, wow, you know, we would not know about this person if it weren't for Jesus. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. I had an episode about John 316 and, you know, Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. And it's like he could talk and preach a sermon on just Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. You know, we would have not known who Nicodemus was if he didn't come to Jesus by night. And okay, for these two thieves, their destiny was to be like anyone else enduring capital punishment during the Roman Empire, which was several hundred years. And But yet, you know, now the thief on the cross becomes an icon of God's grace, you know, to think, you know, I am saved by grace, you know, like the criminal on the cross, as the song goes, you know, you could sing about this thief on a cross who otherwise if it weren't just happened to be executed on the same day that jesus was brought there between them and then he has faith there and then we can read about that and this thief you know we don't even know his name or what he did but what we know about him is his interaction with jesus and jesus bestowing mercy and grace on him you know it's like now the whole world knows about this thief on a cross <laughs> i speak to parents all the time who come up to me and they see what's happening but they don't know what to do and i just want to stand up and say you can do this here is a solution this is yvette hampton host of the schoolhouse rocked podcast join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors as well as parents just like you and me Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. 
John mentions something that other gospel writers didn't mention, where Mary and Mary Magdalene, Mary's sister, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the youngest of the disciples, who are, while the other disciples are kind of scattered out of fear, like, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, you know, another prophecy fulfilled, but not mentioned here, but earlier on but you have mary the mother of jesus two other women at least and john who are staying there and then jesus do you have that was one of the sayings there babe Mm. where jesus tells behold your mother and mother behold your son you know Mm -hmm. so it's kind of you know to show that he had that special relationship and that trust with john you know, there's like scholarly stuff about, you know, why, you know, how that works in Jewish culture for taking care of someone's mother and so on. But it wasn't one of Jesus' siblings. It was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he's telling him, you know, here's your mother, you know, look to your mother now, you know. And then John takes Mary into his house to care for her, the mother, the widow, and now the, you know, one whom, you know, lost her son here, you know, for the time being. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I think that's cool that Jesus shows that, I mean, this is just another example hmm. of him thinking about other people while he's in the process of dying he's thinking okay i need to make sure my mom is taken care of (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right i trust john john you're going to take care of my mom and Mm -hmm. you can consider john as your son and Mm -hmm. not that he replaces Mm -hmm. the son uh, jesus in mary's life but just having that support person Mm -hmm. there and that person that cares about you and also cared about Jesus. He's like you pointed out, he was the only one that actually stayed and mm-hmm. saw Jesus dying on the cross right then. Yeah. I think that that just shows the loyalty that John had mm-hmm. and that it's like, okay, yeah, that's the person I would want to take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's loyal, he's there like when everyone else wanted to go in hiding. So I, I don't know, I just think that these different moments in here, when you stop and think about it, it's just, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus can think about so many people Yeah. <laughs> in his he has, state. Yeah, he has others, everyone else on his mind, you know. I mean, he does say, I'm thirsty, and yeah. <laughs> okay, I like that one. Oh, yeah. Can we do that one? Sure. Else? Okay. <laughs> So when Jesus says, I am thirsty in John 19, verse 28, I think that's cool Mm -hmm. that it shows his humanity Mm -hmm. because here you see all the way up. Okay. He's telling the thief that Mm -hmm. he's going to be with him in paradise. Yeah. You see the, I mean, in some way, yeah, I was (laughs) going to say, you could see the divinity in his statements there and yet speaking through, you know, as a man, but speaking with the divine mind there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, just thinking about that a little bit today. I'm like, wow, that's really neat how you see Jesus, the God man, and then Jesus like Mm -hmm. in the humanity Mm -hmm. and that he is thirsty. He is experiencing Mm -hmm. that pain. It isn't like, that's just body hanging there and he's (laughs) somewhere else. It's like showing Mm -hmm. that okay, this is the real experience. Mm. He's thirsty. Yeah. He mm. needs something to drink. And yeah. and how that is, you know, we keep talking about the different prophecies that are being fulfilled too and how it had to be man mm-hmm. to fulfill yeah. the requirement for man's sin. And mm-hmm. I think these different pictures of Jesus' humanity here to take our place and then also the divinity mm-hmm. of it that he can save people mm-hmm. and say you're forgiven or forgive yeah. these people and yeah it yeah. all comes together yeah. there perfectly and yeah and sometimes people might be tempted to kind of gnosticize the crucifixion in a way to just almost like jesus was putting on a facade for his sufferings or something You're like no he wasn't just wearing a human cloak either you know <laughs> he was fully human and fully divine in one person and so we see both of that coming through we see it all coming through and when he said he was thirsty he didn't like wait 
look at my watch. Oh, it's time to say I'm thirsty, you know. And the reason he was thirsty is because he refused to drink that bitter stuff earlier before they crucified him when they led him to the spot there. And so he was human. He tasted and pulled away like, oh, I can't drink this. So hours later, when he's absolutely parched, you know, he's like, I'm thirsty. And I think, you know, even just think of how tired he have to be here because think the arrest, we mentioned earlier that he had been up awake a long time. That's why the disciples felt were falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus had been awake and was tired for a long time. And then to go through this, the trials through the night He's still awake. He's suffering, goes through the whipping, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion. Like, he hasn't even slept all this time. Like, you know, just the shock of fatigue along with the shock of pain and hasn't had anything to drink either. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, and all that blood loss. Yeah. Like. That makes you even thirstier. Yes. You're losing volume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, once you start putting the details together in your mind and realizing like, whoa, this is even more difficult than I even thought of, you know, whether before I realized, oh, all the details in this. I remember, you know, just which I didn't even mention in the last episode, just thinking about like he had to have been tired. You know, he was awake for a long time. So then we have darkness (laughs) coming at noon it was about 9 a.m. when he's crucified, and then it's about 3 p.m. when he died. So a six-hour span, half the daylight portion. So about the sixth hour, which was noon, darkness comes. So halfway through his crucifixion experience is when darkness comes. And that could have been an eclipse. If it weren't an eclipse, I don't lose any faith. Or, you know, if it's just a supernatural darkening, I don't know. It doesn't matter either way. But I think it could possibly have been an eclipse at this time. (laughs) And it was dark from noon to three, which would be a pretty, you know, long eclipse. So there could have been some supernatural element to that. You have other things that Jesus said, the last sayings that he had before he expired on the cross. Yeah, so this one is a simple saying as far as it's short. But when he says, it is finished, in John 19, verse 30, Hmm. there is so much power Hmm. in that saying. To tell us die, yeah. Yes, because when he says, it is finished, he's not just saying, okay, they killed me. (laughs) He's saying the debt of sin is finally Mm. and forever paid for, Yeah, which is huge. And I think that, (laughs) I'm not sure, babe, what you think of this part of the Passion of the Christ (laughs) movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw it once a while ago, so I don't remember the details of it, but yeah. (laughs) So I liked learning a little bit about kind of what Satan was thinking (laughs) during this time, like, Mm tempting jesus or just so in the movie they're showing like how satan's kind of (laughs) excited at first Mm. that he's going to be put to death and he's like all right come on let's just kill him here kill him there like Mm. he wants him to be dead because he doesn't realize the extent of what jesus is doing that his death is forever and finally Mm. paying the debt of sin He thinks, okay, yeah, the Jews, they can have Jesus, they can kill him. Mm -hmm. But this was a debt that went to all humans, Mm -hmm. Gentiles, Jews, everyone. And so when Jesus died on the cross and said, it's finished, this was Mm -hmm. finished for the entire world, Mm -hmm. not just the (laughs) Jewish community. Yeah, And I think it's just so powerful when he says that phrase like it makes me think of first corinthians 2 7 i think i don't have that in my notes but i remember the reference where paul says if the princes if they had known they would not have crucified the lord of glory so we have the statement there about who jesus is but if they had known what this is actually doing they wouldn't have crucified him (laughs) 
Yeah, so there had to be that kind of mystery element there that how many uh, times Muslims and so on will challenge Christians to say, where did Jesus ever say, I am God, worship me? But, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, he do miracles and say, tell no one that I did this, you know, tell no one who I am and stuff. There is a lot of kind of both the divine and human element there with the divine control over the hour that would come, all the players that would be involved, and yet still it was strategy that took into account human factors, you know, like it's going to happen at a certain time, and so not before and not after, and so, yeah. Then his final statement before he dies, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Mm. and that's in Luke 23, 46. Which I didn't realize this, but that's actually prophesied. Oh, wow. Yeah. In Psalms 31, verses 3 through 5. Oh, <laughs> sure. Read that right quick. <laughs> okay, Psalms 31, 3 through 5 says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Verse 5. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus sure. quoted that, you know. Is just, that a quote or a prophecy? Well, I mean, he quoted that, but just like he quoted Psalm 22, verse 1, where he says, yeah. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was one of his sayings. And people around him, if they weren't thinking of Psalm 22, they're thinking, you know, oh, he's mourning, he's a guilty criminal, he's crying out to God for forsaking him. But if people read too much into that about, like, say, the father turns his back on the son, you know, I mean, we have songs about that and stuff. But really, Jesus is kind of starting, you know, the prophecy dance there. <laughs> In a way, just kind of like someone says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know, and then if you know the song, you could quote it in your head or you start to think about it. So he starts the <laughs> the prophecy dance of Psalm 22 going by starting the words there, you know. Yeah, because there's even more Psalm 22. Part of my garments, my lips are dried like a potsherd, you know, like there's thirsty, his bones uh, look and stare upon him, they're out of joint, you know, all that's prophesied. They pierce my hands and my feet, dogs compass me about, they part lots on my vesture, like all of that's in Psalm 22, which they mm-hmm. did, you know, not even intentionally realizing that's it's all lining up with Psalm 22 there. So then Jesus expired on the cross at around 3 p.m., which means he had a six-hour crucifixion experience, which was shorter than normal. (laughs) Just thinking of how excruciating that is, because we know Jesus was enduring more than just the crucifixion itself. He was enduring the atonement for sins, and so I would think that accounts for, you know, he had the strength to say the words of mercy for people and the thief and John and Mary and stuff. So when he expired on the cross and the centurion, according to three of the Gospels, you know, he says, truly this man was the son of God. I mean, Luke mentions, he says, truly this was a righteous man. But yeah, just think (laughs) that is powerful too. Think of the centurion in charge of the soldiers carrying out capital punishment of someone between two thieves and the centurion. He probably, who knows if he knew who was being crucified, if he did, maybe heard things about Jesus or whatever, but just (laughs) hearing Jesus's words from the cross, how he interacted with people, the darkness, you know, just all that went on. And then Jesus dies. And then the centurion is kind of summing up his experience with what he just witnessed about who this Jesus was and how he handled crucifixion. And he says, truly, this man was the son of God. He was a righteous man. Like the centurion recognizes after all this and the way Jesus conducted himself and the powerful, amazing things he said, you know, this was someone who did not deserve what we just did to him. (laughs) 
and I can't even imagine what the centurion must have been thinking. Perhaps he got converted at that point, but just to think, you know, what kind of guilt he would then feel like I put to death the most righteous man I've ever seen, you know. Why was he here? You know, why was he sent? What was he convicted of? He he didn't do anything wrong. And he sees the thief admit such. And Jesus tells a thief, you know, you're going to be with me in paradise. And the centurion could have thought, what kind of craziness? This guy is guilty of heinous crimes and you're promising him bliss. And then as Jesus expires, the centurion says, truly this man, this righteous man was the son of God. So now we have another prophecy fulfilled because after Jesus dies, because it's the Passover Sabbath, and only because of this, it just so happens to be when it was, because otherwise someone could actually survive this atrocious event for possibly more than a day. But yet, because it was the Passover Sabbath, the Jews begged of Pilate, you got to take the bodies down. And so, sends the soldiers there to go break the legs to make sure they die and then take them down. But then, so they break the legs of the two thieves so that the thieves die. But then they notice that Jesus is dead. (laughs) So they don't break his legs, you know, like a mallet or something, you know, breaking, smashing the legs so they can't, as we mentioned earlier, push themselves up to breathe. So they die by asphyxiation more quickly. So this was not what happened at every crucifixion. This was a special thing because of the plea of the Jews, because of the Passover Sabbath. And therefore, they didn't break his legs because he died, you know, more quickly than typical. So then that fulfills Psalm 3420 that says, not a bone of him shall be broken. (laughs) So, yeah. As you mentioned, the spikes, the nails went through his wrists and his feet, but didn't break any bones. And that was by design of crucifixion. And then they didn't break his legs, even though that's what the Jews were saying to have happened. He died, you know, before that would happen. And that's why his legs weren't broken. (laughs) And then John also mentions another prophecy, Zechariah 12, 10, that says, and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And so, yeah, there we go. We have the crucifixion event. and <laughs> Well, yeah. so the soldiers did pierce his side. Yeah, they spear. took a spear and pierced his side. To make sure. Yeah, that he was that dead he and was dead. blood and water came out, which. So I think yeah. that part is <laughs> medically kind of cool. Yeah. So the spear went at a slant. Yeah. And the significance of having the blood and water come out. Is that it pierced his heart? Oh yeah, because you have a buildup of water around the heart once you basically kind of drown through mm. not being able to clear your lungs out and breathe. And mm. so having the blood and water means that they pierce through the mm. heart and the sac surrounding the heart there. The pericardium. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so they miss bones going yeah. through that too yeah. because you have <laughs> rib cage everywhere. Yeah. So it's just amazing that the angle that they had it at yeah. to pass any of the bones and actually pierce his heart. Yeah. I don't know. To me that's yeah. so amazing that that shows <laughs> it oh, seems like it seems like divinity at work there, but I mean, I know the soldiers had to have been experts at their craft there too, but that still was divine, you know, to ensure that it would fulfill this passage of prophecy about not a bone of him being broken, not in the piercing, not in the hands and feet, not in the spear. He didn't have his legs broken because he died more quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> So in having blood and water come out too, that shows, okay, yes, he yeah. was human yeah, because he had mm-hmm. what you would expect come mm-hmm. out yeah. as far as the body fluids. And I think it's cool that his blood was poured out. Mm-hmm. So blood is coming out through this and then that he's the living water. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I yeah. just think that that picture right there, I mean, it's gruesome to think that they pierced him. Like that, but also just the significance in that picture that he was pierced Mm -hmm. for our transgressions. Yeah. And just thinking, okay, it was blood that was spilled to cover our sins, and he is the living water. Anyone who thirsts and drinks of (laughs) his water. (laughs) Yeah. 
the water that, yeah, like Jesus to the Samaritan woman at the well. One will drink of the water I will give you, shall never thirst. And John 7, Jesus said that the feast of the tabernacles and he shouts out if anyone come to me and drink you know out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water yeah (laughs) i mentioned that on episodes about transubstantiation (laughs) recently but (laughs) so yeah it's not mentioned uh, but it could fulfill the prophecy about the sword that pierced his heart will pierce mary's not literally but figuratively but the spear pierced Jesus's heart there yeah, at the crucifixion. And it wouldn't have done that if it weren't for the fact that he died early or the, even the Passover, the timing of it. My hour has not yet come. It had come at that point, divinely <laughs> perfected. So we have a couple more things before he gets buried. So, yeah, then when Jesus dies, you have a great earthquake, you know, to show just how special it is the one who died here. This is, you know, this is no ordinary person who died. It's significant. And so the earthquake happens. It causes several things. It causes the veil of the temple to rip in half. And it's a big, heavy, long veil that we're talking about. Somehow the earthquake, you know, causes that to happen. And the symbolism of that is pretty powerful to show that the old covenant system, you know, with the priestly system now is done away. The new covenant is being enacted. And with the new covenant, you come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews mentions, you know, Jesus went through the veil that is his flesh, but the veil being rent shows that okay now anyone can come to the holy of holies (laughs) you know just think of how how much god invested in that old system but it was you know just primarily to teach us about (laughs) just how the perfection he demands the weight of sin and having this system set up where the priests had to be very careful and only certain priests can enter the holy of holies you know, you had the Kohathite Levites that can enter the inner sanctum but couldn't go to the altar, whatever, if I remember correctly. You know, only certain priests can go to the Holy of Holies and they had to be very careful not to defile anything. You know, you had the whole rope tied around the ankle to pull him out if he died. All that's done now with Jesus' death because he's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And <laughs> so I have a couple of facts about the veil right quick. Okay. So the veil was actually intertwined, like woven to where it would not be easily torn because this was such an important symbol for Mm. that separation between the Holy of Holies Mm. and entering into that area. So this wasn't something that you could just (laughs) take a knife to and easily (laughs) cut or rip with your hands. And the other thing that I think is powerful is that it tore from the top. Oh, top to the bottom. Yeah. So if, you know, some people are like, oh, someone probably just went in and ripped it. And it's like, okay, no, this had to have been God (laughs) because it went from the top, which is really high and came down and just showing, okay, God's done with this. (laughs) We can come, like you said, boldly to him and we don't have to go through a priest. And why do we not do that? God's like, come to me with anything. And so often we're like, oh, we don't want to bother you. Or, oh, this isn't Mm. a big deal. But God tells us, come to me. To think that God's not approachable, that he's like, for those who love him and serve him, who believe his son, you know, like God's not just crossing his arms, you know, (laughs) like, oh, pitiful person what is your problem you know it's like you know we see that right here he's inviting us to come you know Mm -hmm. all that jesus went through this was part of the purpose of that you know to show that you really can come to him because of what jesus did he's an advocate with the father and doesn't the earthquake destroy some of the temple too yeah it probably did but it's kind of it's almost like a foretaste of Think of eighty seventy there with the destruction of the temple, and Jesus told disciples in the Olivet Discourse about there will not be one stone left upon another. So we have the foretaste of that. The earthquake causes the veil to tear from top to bottom. You know, now you can enter the Holy of Holies and 
those who are still committed, like, oh, let's just repair the veil, you know, let's continue this. Let's continue the temple. We're going to cling to the temple and all and the old system, you know, like, okay, if that's where you put your faith in and you reject Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, you will die with the temple. <laughs> the temple's going to be destroyed as magnificent as it was. And then the earthquake also, Matthew mentions about that some people were raised from the dead temporarily. Those in the graves came out and appeared to many. (laughs) Seen atheists and Muslims and so on make fun of this. If it's like the night of the living dead or like they're zombies and stuff, but that's not what it was. (laughs) But yeah, that also is showing that it's like a foretaste of the resurrection jesus as he dies people are raised from the dead at least some people temporarily that way (laughs) yeah the power of jesus death and showing he didn't die and stay in the dirt you know the earthquake the ripping the veil and the resurrection there showing you know as he said it's finished but you know he's going to be raised from the dead that part it was still to come yeah so you definitely want to stay tuned for our next episode because this one kind of ends heavily (laughs) yeah heavily but we see the grace and mercy we see his death and what it accomplished and even all the mercy of his words on the cross and yeah so definitely stay tuned for the next episode because, yeah, <laughs> there's so much the crucifixion here. We just had to do another episode to talk mm-hmm. about his burial and resurrection because there's so much to that. We can't pack it into an hour episode. So <laughs> thanks for listening and hope your week goes well. God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 